0: Lesson 11 for September 6-12 to 12, The Sabbath Sabbath Afternoon, September 6 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the Sabbath comes to us every seven days and it has done for so long. But Jesus spoke about it. Jesus showed us how to keep the Sabbath. And as we open your Word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit... Will guide us and bless us in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Let's read that again Matthew 2 verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Throughout his ministry, religious leaders challenged Christ's Sabbath observance. When criticised, Christ emphasised his authority as Lord of the Sabbath, as we've just read in Mark 2.28. He also showed what correct observance of the Sabbath should be. Today, we are confronted not only with the challenge of correct observance of the Sabbath, but also with the popular belief that Sunday, not Sabbath, is the day of rest. Those pushing for Sunday, however, have nothing in their favour in the Gospels. The Sabbath controversies in the Gospels dealt only with how the Sabbath was to be kept, never with when. Jesus' life and teachings leave no doubt that the seventh-day Sabbath would continue as God's day of rest, even after his death and resurrection. This week, we will discuss Christ's relationship to the origin and lordship of the Sabbath. Next, we will study the example and teachings of Jesus regarding the observance of the Sabbath. Finally, we'll look at the Sabbath as seen in his teachings and in the example of his disciples after the resurrection. Sunday, September 7, Christ the creator of the sabbath. Question: What do the following texts indicate about Jesus' role in creation? Why is this so important especially when considering the origin of the sabbath? First of all, we look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. John begins his gospel with the famous statement, In the beginning was the word, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. Both John and Paul leave no doubt as to the role of Christ in creation. God the Son, Jesus Christ, created all things, as it says in Colossians one sixteen. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Through Christ... God made the universe, including our solar system, the earth, and everything in it, animate and inanimate. Christ, who was to be man's redeemer, was also his creator. And right there, at the end of creation week, the Lord gave us a day of rest. In Desire of Ages, page 288, Ellen White writes, The Sabbath was made for man. It is the Lord's day. It belongs to Christ. Since he made all things, he made the Sabbath. By him it was set apart as a memorial of the work of creation. End of quote. The same God who created humanity with the need to rest also provided the means to rest, a weekly day in which human beings are to set aside weekly toils and troubles and to rest in Him, the Creator. After finishing creation, He Himself rested on the seventh day, not because of tiredness, but in order to bless and sanctify the Sabbath and to give us an example to follow. And He also rested on Sabbath when He finished our redemption on the cross, not because He needed it, but in order to among other things confirm the perpetual value of the sabbath christ who invites restless human beings to rest in him in matthew 11:28 and 29 invites us to rest in a special way once a week every sabbath those verses in matthew 11:28 and 29 come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So to finish today, Sabbath keeping ties us to the beginning of earth's creation, to the very foundation of our existence. What better time to dwell upon the important question, what am I doing with the existence that God has given me? September 8 Christ the Lord of the Sabbath question read Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 what is going on here why would the Pharisees consider this action as not lawful at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat and when the Pharisees saw it they said to him look Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 23.25 states, When you come into your neighbour's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbour's standing grain. The problem, therefore, was not the action itself, but the day on which it was done. Rabbinical regulations expressly prohibited many types of work on Sabbath, such as reaping, threshing, and winnowing. In the Pharisees' opinion, by plucking the ears of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and separating the grain from the husks, the disciples were guilty of doing all of them. Question. What is the significance of the examples that Jesus used to answer the Pharisees? And we'll look at the next three verses. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? with the first example, 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6, and I'll read that, beginning with verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or... What I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, Women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Christ argued that, although in normal circumstances, David and his men should not have eaten the bread meant for the priests, uh, Leviticus twenty four nine says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. Yet, because their lives were in danger, their actions should be considered a permissible violation of a ceremonial rule. The second example Jesus mentioned in Matthew 12, verse 5, has to do with the sacrifices and offerings ordained for the Sabbath day in the temple service, which were twice as many as those offered on any other day, Numbers 28, 9 to 10. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering the Jews themselves recognized that the temple service had priority over the Sabbath. After citing these examples, Jesus made two statements that vindicate his authority to define or redefine the Pharisees' burdensome observance of the Sabbath. One, Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Here Jesus reaffirms the Edenic origin of the Sabbath and redefines the incorrect priorities of the Pharisees regarding man and the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to benefit human beings and continues as a God-given gift at the service of humanity instead of humanity at the service of the Sabbath. And two, by saying in verse 28 the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath, Christ ratified His status as Creator and Legislator of the Sabbath. Therefore, He alone had the authority to free the Sabbath from these man-made laws. And so to finish today, the spiritual leaders of God's people charged the Lord of the Sabbath with violating the day that He Himself had created and sanctified. What message should we all take from this about the dangers of spiritual blindness among those who should know better? september 9 the example of jesus question what does luke chapter 4 verse 16 tell us about jesus attitude toward the sabbath why is this so important for us today and we'll also look at john 14 15 and first peter chapter 2 and verse 21 first of all luke chapter 4 and verse 16 so he came to sabbath where he had been brought up and, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. In John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And First Peter 2, two, twenty-one 21 reads, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The word Luke uses in verse 16 of chapter 4, custom, comes from a Greek word related to habits constant in time and practice. In other words, Jesus regularly attended the synagogue every Sabbath that he could. Moreover, this is so important to Luke that four times in his Gospels he mentions Jesus' attendance at the synagogue on different Sabbaths. In this illustration of chapter 4, verse 16, also in chapter 4, verse 31, chapter 6, verse 6, and chapter 13, verse 10. Also, Luke specifically identifies the Sabbath as the seventh day of the week in Luke 23, verses 54 through to chapter 24 verse 1. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices, which... They had prepared. The fact that Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, observed the seventh-day Sabbath along with the Jews, testifies that the weekly cycle had not been lost since the giving of the law at Sinai, or even since creation. His example as an observer of the Sabbath is a model for Christians to follow in both time and manner of observance. Question what did Jesus read on that special occasion in the synagogue? Why is this significant? So, beginning at verse 16 of Luke 4 So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This wasn't the first time Jesus read and spoke at a synagogue. More than a year had already gone by since he was baptized in the Jordan River. However, this was Jesus' first visit to Nazareth after leaving the carpenter shop where he spent the first 30 years of his life and where he attended the local synagogue. During his youth, as Ellen White said in Desire of Ages, page 71, for, often in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he was called upon to read the lesson from the prophets, and the hearts of the hearers thrilled as a new light shone out from the familiar words of this sacred text. But this time it was different. Jesus selected a particular passage, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, a text that explains the Messiah's work on earth and how he will come to, as it says in Luke 4.19, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the sabbatical or jubilee year, a time of rest. Appropriately, Jesus chose the day of rest, the Sabbath, to announce His ministry of redemption, liberation and healing. Truly, we find rest in Jesus, a rest expressed in a tangible way every Sabbath. Sabbath. WEDNESDAY, SEPTEMBER 10 MIRACLES ON THE SABBATH The Gospels mention numerous miraculous healings that Jesus carried out on the Sabbath day. It is interesting to note that, in most cases, the healing came by Jesus' initiative, as if he purposely wanted to heal on the Sabbath, though he could have done it any other day. Jesus was trying to make a point. Healing on the Sabbath was not unlawful. On the contrary, it was more lawful than what many of the Pharisees and religious leaders were accustomed to doing on the Sabbath. Question What arguments are given in each of these texts to justify Jesus' healings on the Sabbath? Matthew 12, verses 10-12 And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And Luke chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. The Lord then answered and said to him, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Although it is true that we must set aside our own interests during the Sabbath, and you'll remember Exodus chapter twenty verse nine which says, "Six days you shall labour and do all your work and isaiah fifty eight thirteen if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honourable, and shalt honour him." not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. It should never be considered as a period of useless idleness. In his controversies with the Pharisees, Christ clearly pointed out that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath in Matthew 12.12. According to rabbinic traditions, a sick person could be treated on the Sabbath if the situation was life-threatening. Likewise, if a sheep or an ox fell into a pit, it was permissible to pull the animal out on the Sabbath day to save its life. Wasn't a person's life more valuable than an animal's? Unfortunately, Christ's critics showed more compassion toward their own animals than to suffering human beings. They approved watering an animal but not restoring a person. Jesus also stated in John 5, 16, My father has been working until now, and I have been working, referring to God's work in favour of his creatures. Even on the Sabbath day, he continues giving life and sustaining the universe. Jesus taught that we should not be legalistic when observing the Sabbath. To keep it means to rest from our own works as expressed in Hebrews 4.10 and even more important to stop trying to work our way to salvation, which is impossible anyway. Satan wants to convince us to keep the Sabbath selfishly. If he cannot move us against the Sabbath, he'll try to push us to the other extreme legalism. So to finish today, though it's easy to be legalistic about the Sabbath Others can be very lax in keeping it. How do we strike the right balance? Also, why must we be careful in our response to how others keep the Sabbath? Don't forget how the Pharisees viewed Christ's Sabbath-keeping. Thursday, September 11, the Sabbath after the resurrection. Many Christians keep Sunday instead of the Sabbath, offering a host of reasons, the main one being the resurrection of Christ. Besides the fact that nothing in the New Testament, including the passages on the resurrection, teaches that Sunday is to replace Sabbath, the New Testament shows that Christ intended for his Sabbath to be kept even after his resurrection. Question. What does Matthew twenty four twenty have to say about the Sabbath in the years following the resurrection of Jesus? Matthew 24 verse 20. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath day. Christ's words in this verse in matthew twenty four twenty show us that in a d seventy about forty years after his death, the Sabbath was to be considered as sacred as it had always been. The commotion, excitement, fear, and travel necessary to flee from Jerusalem would be inappropriate on the Sabbath day question What other New Testament evidence do we find that shows the seventh-day Sabbath remains sacred after the resurrection of Christ? First of all, Acts chapter 13 and verse 14. And we'll look at verse 42 after that as well. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, in verse 42, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And Acts chapter 14, verse 1, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. And Acts chapter 17, verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Acts chapter 18 and verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. For the disciples going to the synagogue was what church attendance should be for us today, one of the best ways to observe the Sabbath. This is especially noticeable with the Apostle Paul who was present at the synagogue services on Sabbath when no church was there. It was his custom following Jesus' example. uh, Acts 17 verse 2 Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Although he was the Apostle to the Gentiles and the champion of justification by faith, he usually went to the synagogue on Sabbath, not only to preach to the Jews, but also to keep holy the Sabbath day. One Sabbath, after the synagogue service was finished, the Gentiles begged Paul to preach the gospel to them. The Apostle could have invited them to hear him the next day, Sunday, but he waited one week. As in Acts 13.44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. These texts provide powerful evidence that the early church knew nothing of the first day of the week as a replacement for the seventh. So to finish today, okay, so we know we're right about the right Sabbath day. That's important, of course. How, though, can our Sabbath-keeping make us Christians who are more compassionate, loving, and caring. Friday, September 12. Wherefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath... These words, Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 288-289, to 289, are full of instruction and comfort. It, the Sabbath, points to Him as both the Creator and the Sanctifier. It declares that He who created all things in heaven and in earth, and by whom all things hold together, is the head of the Church, and that by His power we are reconciled to God. For speaking of Israel, he said, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them, make them holy. As it says in Ezekiel 20 verse 12, Then, the Sabbath is a sign of Christ's power to make us holy, and it is given to all whom Christ makes holy. As a sign of his sanctifying power, the Sabbath is given to all who, through Christ, become a part of the Israel of God. And that brings us to our six discussion questions this week. Number one, we are Christ's both by creation and redemption. How does the Sabbath especially remind us of these crucial truths? 2. What is the problem with a legalistic obedience of the fourth commandment? On the other hand, why is a watered-down observance of the Sabbath not the solution to legalism? What is the key element that makes keeping the Sabbath a real blessing? And 3. Why should the Sabbath and the opportunity to rest on the Sabbath day be a special reminder to us of the crucial truth that we are not saved by our works, but by the merits of Christ in our behalf. 4. What are ways that we can learn to have a deeper and richer experience with the Lord on the Sabbath? 5. What lessons about how to keep the Sabbath can we learn from Christ's example of Sabbath healings? How do these healings help us understand better what the Sabbath should be about? And six, we are told to keep the Sabbath holy. Think through some of your Sabbath activities. How holy are they? <laughs> Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Greatest Power Teresa was well known in her community in western Bulgaria as a witch She worked magic, casting spells and removing spells She told people's fortunes and predicted their future People respected her for the power she had Teresa's little granddaughter, Sarah, came to visit How Teresa loved her On Sabbath... Sarah asked her grandmother to take her to church. Teresa was surprised, but she found the church, which met in an old cafe in town, and took Sarah. A church member saw Teresa and Sarah in church and offered Sarah a child's Bible storybook. Every evening, Sarah asked her grandmother to read from the Bible storybook. Sarah loved to sing songs about Jesus as she played or helped her grandmother around the house. Teresa often stopped to listen. Teresa realised that this Jesus, whom her granddaughter loved, was someone special. She decided to return to the church to learn more. Teresa started attending church regularly, even after Sarah returned home to Italy. Teresa smoked heavily and felt powerless to quit. One day, she stood during testimony time and said, "'If you people want me in this church, you need to pray that God will help me get rid of my tobacco habit.' I can't make it through church without a smoke. The church members stopped to pray for her and promised to continue praying. Later that day, Teresa felt nauseated. She began vomiting. OK, God, she thought, I guess that this is your way to get the poison out. She continued vomiting for several hours. When the nausea passed, she never felt the urge to smoke again. As Teresa became better acquainted with God, she destroyed her witchcraft materials, her charms, and her herbs. When her former clients called to ask her to remove a curse or to curse somebody, Teresa told them she no longer dealt in witchcraft. Then she offered to pray to God for them instead. Several of her clients agreed, and some called back to tell her that her prayers had been answered. A few even visited the church. Teresa knows that she has found a greater power than witchcraft. God saved her, took away her witchcraft and gave her the ability to read and write so she can share what she is learning with those who haven't yet heard. Teresa is thankful that believers around the world gave a 13th Sabbath offering to help the believers in her town build a church. When it's finished, many more people will come and learn about God's great power and love. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.